<clears throat> well, good morning. Let me just uh, give a shout out for a new engaged couple that we have in our midst. John Robertson and Ellie Rodebeck, where are they? Stand up, stand up so everybody can see you. Congratulations. That's good, sweet. All right, probably uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, you weren't aware of my prediction for the Super Bowl. <clears throat> Did get some interesting text messages in the days following that moment. All right, I know this is a technicality, but let me just qualify the fact that I did not say at what point the Falcons would be 13 points ahead of the Patriots. I just didn't even clarify that. So I said Falcons by 13. And at some point they were ahead by more than 13. So uh, just didn't, didn't end that way. <laughs> anyway, anybody actually a Patriot fan and you cared that they won? All right, All right. a few of you. Well, there'll be some prayer time after the session, so uh, pray for you guys who are rooting for cheaters. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was uncalled for about Bill Belichick, but anyway. Uh, well, we are continuing in a, in a series of messages. If you guys are joining us or you're new, we have started the year off setting our focus on something we're calling vital signs in the spiritual life of a believer. And, you know, I would be a poster child for a person who's not severely aware of my physical well-being. I don't keep track of it real well. I break lots of rules when it comes to healthy eating and healthy practices, etc. So at some point, my wife actually has been trying to take the reins in some category and say, hey, I'm making an appointment for you. You are going to see a doctor. You know, I just, I just don't get around to doing that sort of stuff. So I'm pretty sure that when I show up at the doctor's office, it's, it could potentially just be shocking to hear, you know, your blood sugar is this or your blood pressure is that. You know, when he checks my vitals, I don't know what he's going to discover. And probably that's part of the reason why I don't want to go. But uh, in a similar way, you and I can just be living our lives spiritually, knowing the Lord for a, a long time, going day to day, and not being aware that there's some telltale signs that we're just not really that healthy. You know, we, there, there is a pulse, there is some life in us, but we're really not that healthy. And like any of us, if we get news that we're not healthy, then we need to make an adjustment and do some things that will help us become healthier. So what we've covered so far, we've tried to turn this into something that's a real easy illustration to follow based on vital signs that your doctor takes physically from you, that he's concerned about some very basic functions in our lives. And, you know, as we've been doing visits with folks as they come in for their, their health checkup, which we encourage you to make sure you go online or call in and get an appointment to come in for your health checkup, uh, I've noticed, and this has been very helpful for me, I've noticed that most of the times that I'm meeting with people it's in a crisis moment. That's usually the typical moment that they come in for a counseling need because they're in crisis. You know, in, in some form or manner, they've, they've got a virus of some serious sort of, they've discovered cancer. So there's a crisis that drives that meeting. What's been interesting is to not 
sit in a meeting with another person and talk about crisis. Let's just talk about what you're doing on a day-to-day basis to be healthy. How many of you guys know there's a connection between the two? What we do on a day-to-day basis that makes us spiritually healthy touches how we face crisis or whether we create crisis in some ways. So this is a very important thing for us, uh, not because it's going to zero in today necessarily and tell you, hey, you're in a crisis and this is a message about a crisis. Oh, that was so timely. No, this is, this is about 10 steps removed from your next crisis. And it's about what am I doing back here that's helping me to be healthy? So we've talked about basic body function, if you will, basic spiritual function that we are inhaling, right? We take in and that's an important dimension of our spiritual walk. That God has designed us to need something that's out there, him, the knowledge of him, that's got to get in here somehow. And then once it gets in, we breathe it in, the heart and the cardiovascular system distributes that, the nutrients, the oxygen-rich revelation of God himself into our lives. And so there's a dimension where you kind of need to check and see, are there any blockages in me? Is there any blood flow issues in the spirit that I'm, I'm not receiving by the spirit? I'm disconnected from a sense of conviction in my life, or I don't really experience revelation from God. Well, that'd be a, a Holy Spirit disconnect. That'd be a health factor. That's, that's not a good thing. If you're like, well, I don't know that I ever receive from the Holy Spirit. Well, whoa, 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 red flags everywhere. That's a problem. That's not healthy. That's not normal. Right, so, and today we're going to move into exhaling. Right, how, how important is that? Well, it's extremely important. However, I want to say exhaling is sort of counterintuitive in a way. It's, it's something that we need to do, but it's, it's moving away from us in some ways. It's, it's how we give life away, how we push the life of God out of us. So, so we could be very in tune with the idea that I want to be healthy, so I want to get life to come to me. That's what I want to major in. And overlook, we need to push life away from us to be healthy as well. And here's a physical dimension of that, an article by Betsy Politan, um, Breath in Motion, Why Exhaling Matters Most. She says, it's a common thought that inhaling is the important phase in the act of breathing, and people try to control it. Many say, take a breath or tank up when singing. I find that this controlled inhale can actually place unhealthy pressure on the diaphragm, often tensing neck and chest muscles that do not need to be overly involved in breathing. Because most people are busy taking an in-breath, they do not pay attention to the exhale process. Without exhaling completely excess carbon dioxide, a known stressor in your nervous system may remain in your lungs. The system detects that there is too much carbon dioxide, not enough oxygen. Then it does the only thing it knows how to do, ask for more oxygen, causing another inhale. Since the lungs are still partially filled with carbon dioxide, not as much oxygen can get in. A cycle is set in motion and you keep inhaling for more oxygen, but you can't get enough because the lungs have not been properly emptied. This habit can lead to shallow breathing and holding your breath. However, when you exhale completely, your body is designed to take a reflex inhale. 
By releasing your ribs and expelling all air in the lungs, you engage in the spring-like action of your ribs to expand and create a partial vacuum, and the air comes in as a neurological reflex. This is what I call an optimal breath. Well, in a very similar way to this, we are designed by God to spiritually exhale completely, to empty ourselves, to pour out of us things that have been poured into us. And I think a very common health concern is that many Christians have become shallow breathers. They, they don't give away very effectively. So a lot stays in us that fills up space that then when we go to take something in in order to be strengthened and refreshed by God, it, we, we breathe shallow. And, and quite honestly, we're only taking in so much and we're not being refreshed and strengthened and affected by it the way we need to because we don't fully give away what God has given to us. So exhaling becomes a, a massively important thing. I think I wrote this out in your outline. Let me just read it back to you. Many Christians diagnose their lack of vitality. I'm not feeling healthy. Their oxygen poor lifestyle as a problem with their inhaling. And there's truth to that, right? We covered that in the, in a couple of weeks ago. Without being aware or addressing their ongoing practice of poor exhaling, which is really affecting them. So what is poor exhaling spiritually? Well, spiritual exhaling is what we do when we export, we expel the life of God from our lives. It has to do with what we give away from us. It's associated with a little fresh set of biblical vocabulary words. I, I like, you know, when you were a kid and you had a reader, remember when you used to read something new and there was a little section right before you started reading uh, vocabulary words? Right. Well, you know, I think that's very helpful because it, it kind of makes you look for some new concepts that maybe you haven't been seeing. So here's some vocabulary words that go with exhaling. Words like serving, giving, sacrificing, laying down our lives, ministering, right? These are the words that characterize a giving away dimension of our lives, an exhaling component of spirituality. Now, if you are sitting here today and you're trying to figure out, and you should be, am I going into this year as a healthy Christian? Well, then quick survey of your life. Let the Holy Spirit take you by the hand and find out, are, is your life a giving life? Can you look in your life and find that, that you're, you're a giver? You invest outside of you. You're not a hoarder. You're a, you're a giver. You have a serving life. A spiritually healthy life is a serving life. There are people in your life that you could list off real quickly. That come to mind real fast. That you recognize it is your role to serve this person, that person, these people right here, and those people over there. And I make room in my life to make that a priority. Now listen, that can get polluted, that can become difficult because sometimes we serve without a recognition that that's a call from God to pour yourself out. And you can, you can start letting that get messed up and corrupted, right? Well, they don't respond well. 
well, they don't appreciate what I'm doing. So I find myself wanting to not, okay, well, be careful. What you're wanting to do is you're wanting to serve them as a means of getting something from them, right? So you're back into shallow breathing mode. It's like, I, I'm really in your life so that I can get something from you. And I've noticed I'm not getting it. So I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this. Okay, that's not the serving I'm talking about. The pouring out of your life in a serving type of a way will often mean that person's not going to be your source of refreshing. God is going to be your source of refreshing, which makes Christians powerful in this world. Because we're not waiting for a fallen world and the fallen people in our lives and the problematic parts of this world to motivate us to love them and to serve them. If you found that that's not how you're operating, then that's unhealthy. Right? I can serve others who won't give me the time of day, won't applaud me, won't appreciate me for a moment if I'm getting refreshed by God to continue to do it. And that's how God wants to operate. A healthy, exhaling life is a sacrificial life. It is a ministering life. It gets into people's spiritual lives. It gets into their needs and their brokenness. And it shows up with something that helps and strengthens them. It is an other-oriented life. We'll see that in the text we're going to look at today. It's not just a self-oriented life. It's an other-oriented life. Right? So this is what a healthy spiritual life looks like. Now, I think all of us would agree there was no one who ever walked on the face of the earth who was healthier than Jesus Christ. Right? He is the ultimate example of what does a healthy spiritual life look like. So let's, let's learn something from observing him. And here's an interesting passage that helps us because it, it kind of sticks us in a story to contrast you know, some characters that were walking with Jesus, but, you know, they don't have to have James and John. They could have Keith you know, as their name because I'm in this category with them, I'm sure, in many ways. Mark chapter 10, common occurrence, Jesus walking with his disciples, conversation gets started. It says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, well, the cup that I drink, you will drink. With the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But... To sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, for it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them. Right, he's got a little team trouble here now. And Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they, they, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray just for a moment. Lord, Lord, there's nothing more important for us as people trying to live life, the life you've given us in this world, in this age, than to get an accurate, fresh picture of who you are. And so, Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for what it shows us about the God of glory who came as a man fully alive. Lord, there are things here that you had to tell your disciples to cherish, and God, we need to be told that as well. So help us, God. Give us ears to hear and a heart that values what you say is most important. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is uh, interesting knee-jerk response, right? Guys are doing life together. These are, these are I mean, I would, these are quality men. We're still talking about James and John, right? These are people that Jesus spent time with. They were powerfully used by God. These are disciples, and yet still trafficking inside of them is this craving to get for themselves. They want something for them. Even people that we would respect the most. Listen, don't, don't be freaked out when the people around you or you yourself find yourself with, this is my motive, I want for me. And I even want to talk to Jesus. I even want to have a prayer time. I even want to approach the throne of God to get something for me. Not just, and not just for me, for it to be easy for me, but for my own greatness. This is what these guys are after. And so, get in line behind me, right? This is, this is what's in us. And this is the kind of things that we ask for. You know, it's a little, little human, little pack of, pack of human lessons here. Here's a little pack of humans. There's 12 of them running around with Jesus. But they don't always get along. How shocking. You want to know a surefire way to stir up a little discord among you? In whatever relationship you're in, is start seeking what's best for you at the expense of the people around you. And let them smell it. Right? You're, you're not in this for me. You're not concerned about me. You just, you just want something for you. That's what you're after. Well, the men, the men at the other ten smell that. They became indignant. Right? They are affected, insulted, threatened. Maybe they wanted a piece of the greatness that they were about to lose out on. Right, but be, be aware, you know, some of our issues as we try to be family, as we try to walk together uh, as husbands and wives, is when you sniff out that other person is after something for them. That's what the other 10 smelled. James and John, they don't, they don't want something for us that's good for them. They want something for them. And then this indignance shows up. But what's interesting is Jesus, when he becomes aware that that's the attitude inside these guys that I'm walking with, he brings his own life and his own manner of being fully alive, of spiritual breathing, if you will, to bear on their lives. All they can think of is, what do I need to get in here for me? And, and Jesus says, but, but guys, there's this other dimension. It's called exhaling that makes you healthy. And he, and he points really to his own life. 
He says, you know, I am among even the son of man. Even, I love that word, even the son of man is among you as one who serves, as one who has come to give his life away. Right? Jesus lived this sacrificial, self-neglecting, not seeking his own, but laying his life down. Right? All that we know about the life of Christ is an emptying, an expelling dimension, a giving up for the benefit of others, an exhaling and he was the most healthy person who could have ever lived. Right? Philippians chapter 2 kind of takes us into a bit of the realm of what Jesus just highlighted about himself has always been true of him. This is a day-to-day moment. These guys are just walking through life, and they're going to have a conversation with Jesus, very appropriate for what they're thinking. But this is what always characterized Christ. This is what was enabling him to set aside all the glory that is his in heaven where the entire universe is doing its thing because of him. Everything exists by him and for him and through him and he is going to take that glorious position and empty himself of it. He's going to serve in the step that he takes. And that's always been who he is. And so when Paul addresses the Philippians... And he says, hey, you know, you sound like you guys are having a disciple moment. And there's a little bit of conflict among you. There's a little bit of problem with how you're treating each other. And that's the context that we get Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Right? When you read the Bible, do you realize it says things because things need to be said? Do you read the Bible that way? Do you think this is like Paul? somebody's reading Philippians and going, why does Paul cover ground that nobody needs to hear? Or is this something that needs to be heard? Do I need to hear the Bible say, Keith, you're knee-jerk sometimes. Your sense of protecting, your sense of having your territory and carefully guarding it is going to make you look out for your interests at the expense of others. So you, you might need to be aware. Okay, well, okay, I'm aware of that. How do I fix this? He says, well, don't look out for your own interests, but also for the interest of others. And here's how. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped cling to. I'm, I must have it this way for me. He didn't regard it that way. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Now this is interesting. Because this dimension of exhaling, this dimension of of emptying, it, it makes possible some things in the Christian life that Jesus models. Right? So when Jesus empties himself, it makes possible his servanthood. He is now going to serve. He's going to empty himself and become a servant. So, and, 
an emptying, non-grasping life is what enables humility to take place. See, you, you can't be humble as long as you're grasping. As long as there is a motive in you to grasp for something for you, right, that, that's the seedbed of pride. You know, and, and when I use the word pride, I almost use it carefully because pride almost always gets defined for us by this sense of hubris, you know, this stick your chest out, I'm great kind of thing. You know, pride is an excessive self-interest. Pride has its genesis in being turned inward, in, in losing the sense of everything exists for the God of glory. Pride finds an enlarged place in that it's not always sticking your chest out and bragging obnoxiously. But see, when we just go there, we never get convicted of pride. But what about when I just begin to dislocate the center of the universe a little bit and pull it in my direction? Listen, that's the seedbed of pride. So as long as I'm grasping at something for me, I have dislocated the center of the universe and I've made me needing to protect something for me. And I'm not going to be humble in that moment. I'm going to put my interests ahead of yours, which is how we come in contact with pride. That's how we know that there's pride present because somebody else just got devalued for the sake of my own interest. So this emptying that Jesus models for us and highlights in this passage, it enables servanthood and humility and our ability to put others ahead of ourselves, right? Then this is Paul's logic here. He says, you guys got problems putting yourself above others? Well, here's how you fix that. You have this mind in you that was in Christ who emptied himself and didn't grasp for something and then he became a servant to us all. And he humbled himself, took a position that he never should have taken, right? You know, we, we still ought to be confused just like, you know, Peter, you're going you're gonna to wash my feet? Never. Uh-uh, absolutely not. See, because in the value system of the disciples, greatness never washes feet. I don't get that. Jesus, you're not washing my feet. That's beneath you. Jesus has to fix these bad ideas that existed in them. He's got to fix them in us too. Because I've got ideas in me that I borrowed from the world, that the world taught me its value system, and there are certain things you just don't do. You don't do that. And it sounds like Peter's paying Jesus a compliment, isn't he? Oh, Lord, never. You wash my feet? Never. That's beneath you. But Peter, your problem is you don't know what greatness is. You don't know that to empty yourself and take the form of a servant is great truly great, off the charts, great. Listen, the humility of Christ to take the form of the servant to lay his life down for us, I mean, it's hard to rank things, but perhaps might be the greatest act of all time. Pretty great moment, wasn't it? But he took a form that made people ignore him, treat him like he was a nobody, challenge him. Can you imagine the challenging? They're challenging the God of the universe. I mean, sometimes you don't freak out over that. These Pharisees show up and get all up in Jesus' face and say stuff to him. It's like, do you have any idea who you're talking to? Well, he's dressed like a raggedy carpenter. What the heck you want me to do? 
uh, because he's exhibiting the greatest act in all the history of man, that he could empty himself and take the form of a servant, though he, in our understanding of greatness, should never have done that. It's upside down, isn't it? All right, I'm, let me take you into the fact that you and I live in a world that is upside down. This is right side up, by the way. Jesus, what Jesus did was right side up, but our world is upside down. So just, if you'll just traffic with me for a moment, because this is a problem for us. We breathe the air of the land that we live in. So let me travel into this land with you for a moment. I'm going to get some help from a man named Mark Sayers, who wrote a book called Disappearing Church. And it's a very insightful book if you're into reading this kind of stuff. If you're not into reading this kind of stuff, you won't find it insightful. But I thought it was very helpful. So stick with me as I read through a little couple of chunks of his thoughts here. This is the world that we live in. He says, as the industries of entertainment, image, technology, and consumerism grow, other, less glamorous, yet vital institutions fade and fall. Institutions that were created to foster a sense of community and meaning. Now hold on to this idea about community because that's what's being discussed in Philippians chapter 2. Do not look out for the interest just of yourself, but for the interest of others. Well, you, you can't do that unless you have community. If you remove yourself from the context of relationships or you just let them circle your life at the periphery, you're not doing community. You're doing exactly what this book is criticizing, by the way. And, you're not, and you can't do Philippians chapter 2. Right, so this is a critical issue. The, the air we breathe, these things are fading. These communities are fading and failing. He says, unlike the industries of technology, consumerism, lifestyle, and entertainment, these fading institutions require more than just our money. They asked for commitment. They fostered a sense of duty. They reminded us that freedom needed to be tempered by responsibility and limits, right? Those, those are exhaling dimensions, every one of those things, right? Commitment, right? It calls on me to push something out of my life, whether I feel like it or not. I'm committed to this. Well, I don't feel like doing that. I'd rather just take in right now. I'd rather be on the receiving end of something pleasurable. Commitment says, hey, you know what, Keith? It doesn't matter what you feel like doing right now. You're committed to this. Do it. Do what's right in this moment. So you push something out of you in that moment, duty and responsibility. He says, otherwise we would end up as very unhappy, lonely narcissists, right? A narcissist is a self-pleasure seeking, turned in on himself person. Without realizing it, the church, like so many other institutions in our culture, has been caught in tension between the rise of individual autonomy and the unraveling of social institutions. This is not just the church. Journalist George Packer calls this phenomenon the unwinding, a process in which the communal ties, institutions, and commitments that bind us together have begun to unwind in an unprecedented process. So listen, when, you know, you'll hear us comment, you know, concerns about the consistency of people participating in the life of the church. Uh, but I could pick up a lot of what I say and go to a Boy Scouts meeting with it. I could pick up a lot of what I say and go to a country club with it. I could go to all kinds of social dimensions and tell you all over our culture, social commitments are weakening and people's togetherness is becoming less and less and less. 
And the problem is that attitude is coming into the church. And so therefore, we don't notice we're doing it too. And we're doing it to each other. Sayers goes on and says, our culture is depleted and burned out because it rebels against the God-given limitations placed on it. We burn ourselves out seeking greater freedom and autonomy, right? Individual dimensions. In an age that encourages maximum autonomy and the transgressing of limits, right? Sky's the limit. You can have your cake and eat it too. Perhaps we need to adhere to Todd Hunter's advice to see the institution of church as a spiritual discipline. We get the idea that making the choice to wake up early, read our Bibles, or to commit to regularly giving our money to a charity or to fast may not always be pleasurable. But in the discipline of these things, it is there that we become more Christ-like. Yet we expect church to always be pleasurable, enriching, and exciting. Right? So if today I'm in the land of America and I'm a Christian and I'm going to try and figure out what church should I get involved with. So I attend a little bit and I hoist my antenna and if I were a betting man, I would bet quite a bit that what that individual is looking for is something that feels pleasurable, enriching, and exciting. That's going to be how I determine whether I want to be in that church. And so, but all those dimensions, pleasure, enrich, enrichment, and excitement, they're, they're inhaling dimensions. They're, what do I get out of this? What do I get out of being here this morning? What do I get out of whatever the church says it's going to do? Matter of fact, many people evaluate whether or not they're going to participate in spiritual activities of the church based on what do I get out of that? So, all right, so in this room are guys who have led and their wives who have led covenant groups for years and years, and they have watched people participate and disappear, thinned out. And you raise the question of, hey, you know, you haven't been coming for a while, I haven't seen you, um, what's up? You know, and some of those conversations, what you hear from folks is, well, you know, I, just, I wasn't getting anything out of the meetings. When I interact with people who come to church here and you've been in another church and I ask you anything about your background and so what brings you here? Um, Part of that's just to get to know you. Part of that is to make you aware of whatever you left, you'll probably find reasons here to leave too. (laughs) I just want to get that on the table quickly. (laughs) Well, you know, we, we just weren't being fed. Being fed. Okay, I mean, I get that. I mean, that some theological issues that could be true in that category. But you see, we are programmed by the world that when it stops flowing in and I stop being enriched, when you stop doing something for me and depositing something in me and making my life feel like I just got to upgrade, when it stops coming this way to me, I don't know if I want to keep going. But what you haven't paid attention to is you're not a good exhaler. People in these kinds of categories, I I tend to find that they they don't do a good job of giving away much of what they've got. So they kind of fill up with carbon dioxide right up to the lip. 
And then their breathing spiritually looks like. And you're in a church going. And then eventually, or you're in a covenant group, and eventually somebody asks you, so what's going on? Not seeing you. Well, I'm not really getting anything out of this. You ever stop and think it's not because there's nothing to breathe. It's because you won't exhale. You won't give away the life that's in you. You won't empty yourself. You won't pour out your life in a way that would let life come flooding in and refresh you and strengthen you. That's not a healthy life. If those words have ever come out of you, I'm not saying that you weren't in a place where, you know, doctrinally it wasn't sound or, you know, when they taught the Bible, it wasn't accurate or the the things that were being emphasized were erroneous. Uh, Those are all different than just, ah, you know, I'm just not getting anything, just not getting anything out of this, right? If I were to sit down with you at a spiritual health checkup and say, well, tell me about your private times of reading the Bible. And what's your prayer life look like as you and God interact personally? And, and how are you fellowshipping with other Christians and serving them? And you, and you highlight one of those after another and say, really not happening, pretty weak. But your whole world is, what are you getting from the pulpit on Sunday morning when you come to church? Do you understand your, phys- your spiritual existence is more? This is an important time that we do this every week. But your spiritual existence is much more than this. And if you don't pour your life out, lay your life down, serve, and if you don't commune with God and the Holy Spirit doesn't transfer convictions into your life, when you come in here, you might not hear hardly anything because your breathing is like, all right, Keith, have at me. Ready? That's it. That's all I got. That's all you get. Got a little bitty window there to pump something into you real quick because you breathe so shallow. But your impression is, well, there's just nothing good coming from the pulpit. Really? Hey, I can, I can grant you that. I'm not, I'm not up here thinking that, you know, we're serving up Roots Chris. But if I meet with you and I find out, you know, you're coming in here and giving this piece of breath to God in this moment, the analysis spiritually is that you don't know how to breathe. And you think you're healthy, and you're not. And our culture is not going to teach you to stop doing this. This next thought from Mr. Sayers, he says, Ronald Rollheiser captures this truth well when he writes, Church involvement, when understood properly, does not leave us the option to walk away whenever something happens that we do not like. It is a covenant commitment, like a marriage, and binds us for better or worse. We fear church because we fear that it will take something from us, that it will restrict us. One of the things, if you come to the new members class, and I hope you will come to the new members class, but one of the things I make clear in the first meeting is the reason why we do this class is not to sell you on the church. We want to be clear about who we are, but it's to let you know what we expect of you. That sounds like a fun church to be a part of, huh? (laughs) Can I just promise you that what you fear in that sense, we fear the church because we fear that it will take something from us. Yes, it will. And when you exhale, 
hopefully you will gladly give it away. It will take something from you. And it will restrict your lives. And by the way, so will getting married. And so will having children. And so will letting anybody be a part of your life. It will restrict you and it will take something from you. That's only a problem if the words of Jesus and the life of Jesus are so far away from you that it doesn't make any sense. Jesus, who emptied himself, and he didn't say that was a terrible thing. Boy, I sure regret that. That's the last time I'll ever do that. (laughs) He modeled it, and then he gave it to us. Like, you do that too. So if you're feeling like, boy, being around some people just empties me out, man, just drains me. Okay, before you act like you, you are above being drained, you shouldn't be drained. That should not take something from me. You understand the Son of God promoted that as that's a good thing. You feel emptied? That's what I did. James and John, you want something different here, but can I just tell you guys, emptying is where it's at. Serving and being humble and laying your life down, that's where it's at. That's really great, James and John. That's great for us. Whereas Rawlheiser writes, what church community takes away from us is our false freedom to soar unencumbered like the birds. Believing that we are mature, loving, committed, and not blocking out things that we should be seeing. Real church going soon enough shatters this illusion and gives us no escape as we find ourselves constantly humbled as our immaturities and lack of sensitivity to the pain of others are reflected off eyes that are honest and unblinking. That's just a fancy way of saying, you know, you can have a really high opinion of yourself, that you're an awesome, people-oriented, loving, caring individual, until you get around people and find out, wow, I, I can really be selfish sometimes. I can ignore their needs. I can just be into what I'm into. I can stare back in those blank eyes and not see that they have a need and not be available to it. So you can think you're a real generous person until you get around people and find out maybe that's not true. One more thought from Mr. Sayers. He says, as Rawlheiser comments, our age tends to divorce spirituality from ecclesiology. We want God, but we don't want church. However, the great flaw of our search for spirituality and faith minus church is the unconfronted life. Without church, we have more private fantasy than real faith. Real conversion demands that eventually its recipient be involved in both the muck and the grace of actual church life. More than ever, we need the limitations and glorious messiness of church. We need its relational concreteness. We need it because it is the vehicle and all its warts and spots of the grace of God. Listen, in every relational context, something is going to be extracted from you. You get married, something's going to be extracted from you. If you have children, you are going to serve, you're going to lay your life down, something is going to be given away from you or taken from you, if you will. Hopefully you give it and you have an attitude of giving it. But you'll notice that which is flowing away from you, you can have an attitude that that's being taken from me or I am willingly giving it. And it'll affect whether you've got joy or not. And being a part of a church, meaningfully, really being a part of a church, 
something's going to flow from you. If you're doing it in a healthy way, if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I don't, I don't, I'm not getting what you're saying, Keith. If you don't know anything about the people of the church, the mission of the church, the ministries of the church taking something from you, then you're unhealthy. I, I don't have another description for you. You're an unhealthy Christian. And in some way, if I run you off, I run you off. Uh, thanks for all the help of advancing the kingdom, by the way. Right? Little window of time before the Lord turns the lights out on this universe and said it's over. Redemption is over. No one will come into the kingdom ever again now. It's done. There's this little window where it's open. And you and I have the opportunity to advance the kingdom into lives for the glory of God. I ought to be able to recognize something is coming out of me to make that happen and to participate in that happening. And if I'm not interested in that, I'm not interested in being healthy. Can't you say, well, I'm a healthy Christian because I'm, I've got a devotional that I bought at Walmart. And that little kiosk that goes around and I read it most every day. All paragraph of it. I'm a healthy Christian. No, you're not. This is what health looks like, right? When the Son of God describes an emptying of himself, right? That, that word is a rich theological word. It's, it's kenosis in the Greek. It's when we get the kenosis of God, this self-emptying of God. It says it's the opposite of this other little Greek word that means to fill. It was an emptying of himself. What's interesting, if you have an old, you know, King James translation, it doesn't say emptying. It says he made himself of no reputation. That's an interesting dimension to that word, because isn't that the opposite of what James and John were after? James and John said, hey, Jesus, can we come to you and work something out here? We would like to be of great reputation. We want to be on this side and on that side. Can you arrange life so that we have a great reputation? And Jesus has got to be sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Here I am, dressed up like one of you clowns, <laughs> gladly walking around having emptied myself and made myself of no reputation. People walk right by me. They don't even know who I am. And you guys, seeing what you're made of, you want to sit on thrones of greatness? Are you kidding me? This is what this has got to sound like to God. But, you know, if I'm emptied of seeking reputation for myself, that empowers a lot. I can do all kinds of things that I never would have done before. I can be the least of the least. I can be the unrecognized. I can be the used but not appreciated. I can be all those things, whether it's to a spouse, to children, in the church setting. I can be all of those things because that's what was in the Son of God. So question for us. So what's healthy Christian exhaling look like today? All right, I'm not going to spend time unpacking all these things, but remember our vocabulary words? Healthy Christian exhaling looks like serving. Serving. And so think of the relational context in your life right now. The people that God has placed in your life are the ones that he'd like to place in your life. Are you serving them? Do you exhale? Do you push something into their lives of what God has given you? 
something of your time and your energy and your thoughts and your affection and your care, the revelation from God, the joy that he gives, do you, do you export that into the lives of the people around you? Are they aware that you lay your life down for them, that you sacrifice who you are, right? I think I put that in your outline, sacrificing Webster says sacrificing is to give up something that you want to keep. I got no problem sacrificing stuff I don't want. Anybody else got a problem with that? I'm done with this. I'd like to give this to you. Like it's a big sacrificial act. I was about to throw it in the trash. An act of giving up something especially for the sake of someone or something else. Right? Well, the people that are near to me know that that I, I make room for them in my life at my expense to be available to your need, to step into your messy situation, to you know, take fire and get shot at because I stepped into something that was hot. But, but I gladly do that because I have to do it. I'm compelled to do it by the love of God. But, but, but would people notice, would people in your life notice you do that kind of stuff in their life? That's healthy. Giving, right? Do, do you give? Do, do you financially give? It's very tempting, right? To figure out that having the life that I think I need to have and that I want to have, it needs certain dollars. So it's, it's very easy to just spend all of our time inhaling dollars. I just inhale. I just take in. I just receive. I look for ways to get more. I mass it. I save it. I use it. For me, though, when I spend it, it's about something for me. And money exists in our lives that way. Yet the Bible turns around and says, you know, tithing is a form of breathing. If you watch the way it's given in Scripture, it is God has given to you, now give back to God. God has given to you, now give back to God. I, it keeps me healthy. Not this sense of, hey, God, give me some more. More. Give me some more. God, 2017, give me some more. You know, you can only do that for so long. You're just going to burst. It's unhealthy. All right, when you look at that, that passage there in 1 Timothy, this instruction to, the, to those who have money, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. That's why we hoard, because we set our hopes on things. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Not wrong with enjoying money or wealth. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now, this is what I, pay attention to this little phrase right here, because this is telling for all of us as money comes to us. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, this is a... Monty Hall, let's make a deal moment right here. You can have your money or you can have what's behind door number two, what's really life. But you can't treat them both the same way. So the person who becomes a financial hoarder because they've set their hope in what their finances can do for them and they can't seem to ever figure out a way to give, Paul says, you, you, you have an exhaling problem. And, and if you would look to God and trust God and give away, 
you actually would lay hold of that which is really life. Your money's actually standing in the way of you experiencing what is really life. And in this context, it's an exhaling problem. Now, Eric, you can go ahead and come back up. Um, you know, we're, our illustration here is a, is a physical, biological illustration. It's breathing, but, you know, if, if I had wanted to use a mechanical illustration to get some kind of mileage out of my engineering degree, um, maybe I'd have used a car or your lawnmower engine because they breathe too. Right? Your car breathes. It takes in oxygen and it exhausts oxygen. It, it doesn't exhale, it exhausts. Right? Well, it's interesting because I find that that word exhaust is an interesting word, especially today. It's a very interesting word today. And I think it's, it's educational a little bit for us that exhaling this dimension of, of taking life and doing this with it is exhausting in some ways. And so I don't, I don't want you to be surprised by that. Because in the land in which I live, anything that takes something from me, that requires something of me, that exhausts me, I immediately think there's something wrong with that. This is, this is exhausting, right? We, we, we never say that like, this is exhausting, right? Does anybody say it that way? It's always like, there's something wrong with this. This is, I'm exhausted. Like, this is one step from hell. I'm exhausted. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever stopped to think that Jesus Christ, the healthiest man, was ever exhausted? You remember the story of the disciples being in the boat on this terrible storm that blows up? must have been pretty bad because these guys are fishermen, so they're not going to complain about a few waves. They're being tossed to and fro by waves out on this lake, and it's pretty bad. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. Now, some of us interpret that as, well, that's just this amazing peace from God that, is, that was over him. Probably, sure. Did you ever stop and think, he was exhausted. The man emptied himself on a regular basis, serving and giving away. He'd finish one thing and lines would form of people. He had to go fight to find time just to be in a Now, remember, he had figured out these dimensions. He knew them spiritually. That there were things he got from, you know, Jesus, where were you? Didn't you know what we were looking for you? And he was off by himself with the Father getting something, receiving oxygen that he would later turn around and give it away and exhaust himself doing it. My observation of living in a world, in a land that is uniquely on planet Earth, America is a place that highlights, promotes, and majors in ease, comfort, personal pursuits. So we feel like those things are right. When life is going right, things are easy. They're not troublesome. People are easy when things are going right. We get to relax. There's a sense of... Everything feels like it's right. Uh, Listen, I don't know if life ever felt that way for Jesus. There were needs upon needs upon needs. And he was serving and serving and laying his life down. And nowhere does he ask for a refund or act as though, listen, I did that, don't you guys do that. 
He acted as though exhaling, giving away, transferring life, serving and laying down who we are is a healthy thing to do. And a needed thing to do. So a healthy Christian life is a giving life. It is a serving life. It is a sacrificial life. It is a ministering life. And it is an other-oriented life. And that's normal in the kingdom. Jesus said, freely you have received. Now do what with it? Hoard it? Freely give. And he even said something even stronger than that. It is better to give than receive. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? It's like saying it's better to exhale than to inhale. Well, I don't know if that's, is that true? No, they're kind of related. So if you don't do any exhaling, you're not going to be doing much good inhaling either. And so that's a principle that's here. So you and I need, if we're going to be healthy and we're going to live healthy lives, we, we, we've got to learn that there's this dimension where we go after something that comes to us and strengthens us, revives us, provides for us, but we've got to transfer it from us. We've got to give it away. We've got to find all the vehicles and means through which God has given us to serve, lay our lives down, transfer the knowledge of God, minister to others. This is all over Scripture. It's just the rhythm of a healthy life but it might be something that we're missing out on, being, being Americans who are trying to live this life. So let's, let's stand up together. I don't, I'm not dismissing us. I just want us to engage the Holy Spirit and let him help us for a few moments here. So can you, can you stand, you and the Lord, together, open a conversation with him? Listen for how he wants to direct this message with maybe just one thing that was said, maybe just one particular aspect of it that came to life for you. God wants to meet you this morning. God, we sang as we came in this morning and we stood together. Our thoughts and our attention turned to your presence being among us. Your nearness to us. And so God, now we, we want to be even further engaged by you now. So we have listened and pondered your word. God, we're here because we want to be healthy followers of yours. We want vibrancy in our lives. God, we, we want things to come alive to us. Lord, we, we're not here because we just love the idea of being dull. So, Lord, if there's something in the way in which we do our lives that's causing us to miss out on vibrancy in life, Lord, help us this morning and give us courage to receive something from you. God, make us good exhalers. you're here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God. Confession is a good thing. It's where we agree with God. So maybe you're here this morning and you look at your life in some of these categories of giving and serving and laying down your life and preferring others above yourself. And maybe you feel like, I, I don't find much in me in those categories. Maybe this morning, 
God is showing you that you're, you're a bit of a hoarder. Your time, your energy, being given to others. You can identify that others are serving you, but you're having a hard time thinking right now about how it is that you're serving others. Where do you show up on somebody else's radar as a servant? Somebody who's just in their life to further their needs and help them. God, help us. If we're here this morning and we're hoarders, Lord, there's something really wrong with that. Maybe financially you're here and you, you struggle to give. And when you do, it's, it's under guilt or compulsion or feeling cornered. and You, you don't see that as a healthy thing. God, 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 give grace this morning to us to see that giving away what God gives to us is a healthy thing. Maybe you're here in this church and you're in a setting like this every week, every other week, but if you were to be asked, are you, are you serving the church, serving the people and the mission of the church? Are you taking some of your time, limited as it is, some of your energy, limited as it is, some of your talents and abilities, and are you serving the church with those things? If not, then perhaps you, you need to tell the Lord in whatever words you use, God, I need to confess you this morning. Lord, I'm, I'm a hoarder. I'm, I'm a shallow breather. I'm looking for stuff to come to me, but I'm not looking for opportunities to transfer it elsewhere. God, if that's you, then tell God that. Be honest with him this morning. And tell him you don't want it to be that way. Confess to him. Lord, would you help us? We want to stop up the flow of life that you've given to each one of us, God. We want to receive and transfer it into our homes in the people we serve at work, into the ministry of the church as it advances the gospel. I want to take a moment to minister. And you just, you know, if that was you, you just spend some time in this category, that category with the Lord. But I had a sense even before this morning to pray for people who... And I, and I want you to receive something from God. So you're going to have to get over acknowledging something publicly that you're doing privately. Because I want you to get something from God right now. That there are people who are in our midst here that you are serving. You are serving. You are laying your life down. You are sacrificing for the sake of others. And you feel exhausted but not in a refreshed, lift your hands way. You just feel exhausted by serving. And I, this is the sense I had from the Lord praying for this service. God spoke about his redemptive hour in which he would come and he would restore his presence to us. In Acts chapter 3, you don't have to look at it, just listen. He spoke of this move that he would do. The prophets foretold that Christ would suffer 
And that was fulfilled. And he called upon the people to repent and turn that their sins might be blotted away. Now that already represents many who have done that here. You've been serving because you love God. You love people. And part of this was the next verse. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. All things are not restored yet. And you are serving in a place that maybe you are exhausted in a way that's making you feel burned out on the edges and you're running out of gas and you need what this verse describes. You need refreshing from God. So I had this sense and I walk in and I walk into prayer this morning and Tammy starts to pray and she used the word refreshing five or six times in a row. So I, I, I assume God needed to make sure I heard that. So he repeated it to me five or six times out of somebody else's mouth. And then we walk in and Eric leads us into a profound awareness of the presence of God, how important it is to us. So here's what I want you to do. There are some of you here in your exhaustion, you need to be refreshed by God. Can I ask you to come forward and let us pray for you that times of refreshing will come into your life and this is a strange humility, but this is not hard to do, quite honestly. If you really believe that it is God who serves through you, you don't have a problem transferring the glory to him right now and coming forward and say, hey, I'm not trying to highlight me. Look at me. I'm a great servant. You are serving, and you should be serving. You are serving with the strength that God provides. But the Bible recognizes a need that we have sometimes for times of refreshing to come to us. So we want to receive that from God this morning. Continue to come if this is what the Lord is stirring in you. In this exhaling dimension of our lives, can I, can I tell you one of the things I think that has clogged up the flow of the Spirit of God in our lives, the filling of the Spirit? Many, many folks would, would want to be filled with the Spirit, but it's like there's no holes in you for that filling to flow out of you. You have developed a lifestyle that says, I come to church to get, and I come to church to get. And then there's an altar call to be filled with the Spirit. Oh, I'll come and get that too. And there's no outflow. The Bible knows nothing of that. The people who were being told to be filled with the Spirit, it was because life was going to be flowing out of them. So spiritual gifts come into our lives, and they fill us up. But spiritual gifts are not for you. They're for the building of the body. And so you're going to have to transfer that to somebody else. So you're going to have to have a word of knowledge for somebody or speak in tongues to be built up and strengthened for the purpose of advancing the gospel and lay your hands on people and see them healed and have faith for something and actually communicate that to someone or teach the Bible to someone. So if none of those things are ever going to happen, you're never going to be transferred, listen, you can't be filled if there's nothing going to go out of you. It's just, it creates a blockage. 
That's why there's a big giant vents in here that suck the air out because the air conditioner can't push any more into the room if it doesn't take some of it out. If you're living a Christian life that doesn't export life, doesn't do ministry, it doesn't touch other people, it doesn't take a risk, and you come forward and say, oh, but I want to be filled with the Spirit, I can almost, I can't guarantee you, but I can probably more than likely tell you that's going to be a really shallow experience. So if you're here this morning, you're saying, you know, I do, I want to experience the fullness of God. Maybe God's trying to get your attention to say, okay, will, will you export what I give you? Will you open your life and let it flow out of you into other people's lives? Will you become a minister of the life that I give you? Listen, if that's where you are, I think part of what God wants to do in awakening a sense of the spirit in our lives is to create that in our hearts. The sense of I can't be a hoarder and be filled with the spirit. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom. So maybe that's where God wants to minister to some of us here this morning. Uh, a great opportunity for you to be filled with the Spirit is to look up here and say, okay, who do I need to have some guts and take a chance that God will flow through me because I'm going to give away something that I've got and come and pray for some of these people. That God's presence will be on them. That maybe God has a word of encouragement or strengthening that he wants to give to me. And I'm terrified to do that, but I'm, I'm here to transfer life in what I have. And so I'm going to come forward. Give God a chance to meet me here and pray for these folks. God wants to use us, and he will fill us if we will give it away. So here's some opportunities to give that away. So come and find folks that God is leading you to. As Eric leads us in this song, let's minister, let's linger in the presence of the Lord. Let's seek some refreshing from him in this.
to the highest place and gave to you the right to bear the name above all names that at the name of Jesus we would bow as every tongue confesses you are Lord and when you come in glory for the world to see we will sing with us this morning. Thank you for your spirit, Lord, whose presence we did ask for, Lord, and whose presence you have given to us. And we do pray for those who have responded. Lord, fill them. Lord, Lord communicate your, your pleasure over their service. Lord, Lord, and then fill them afresh with energy and passion and awareness of the great king that they serve. God, and give them, give them a, a renewed sense of eagerness, Lord, to serve, serve those around them. God, 
Thank you for meeting with us this morning, God. We love you. Lord, now help us to take what we've received this week and pour it out in praise for you, God. Help us to expel all the goodness and grace and mercy and forgiveness and wisdom, steadfast faithfulness of God, and pour that out in worship to you and service to others. Lord, for your glory, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week.